You're listening to The Takeaway with John Hockenberry and Celeste Headley. Good morning, everyone. The earthquake in Haiti and its aftermath have dominated headlines for the past three weeks. Pictures of devastation and hope, we've all seen them. Frantic aid efforts, frustrated survivors hanging on to an international lifeline, the aid telethons, the military airlifts. Haiti, however, beyond these headlines, is a challenge for the entire 21st century, as much as it is an opportunity. If Haiti's plight can be addressed in a way that is sustainable beyond this later, latest disaster, it could resonate throughout the century, where all kinds of social problems and regions of political instability depend on finding ways to make developing nations sustainably prosperous. All this week, we're going to be asking experts for their thoughts on how Haiti might best rebuild and how the international community can uh, usefully help. We're rejoined by Paul Collier, a special advisor to Haiti with the United Nations Secretary General back in 2009 and the author of the book, The Bottom Billion, Why the Poorest Countries Are Failing and What Can Be Done About It. Once again, Professor Collier, good morning. Good morning. So you described a uh, a, a staircase of uh, aid strategies uh, that get beyond the short term and move into sort of long-term sustainable development. Let me ask you right off the top, is Haiti a hard problem or is Haiti a relatively easy problem? And I made the comparison to the Marshall Plan there at the top of the hour. Haiti is a relatively easy problem by the standards of fragile states today. Haiti is not Afghanistan. Afghanistan, I think, is hard. Haiti, I think, is easy. And what is it about Haiti that makes it easy? You've written that uh, Haiti, at least on paper, has uh, an extraordinarily productive potential in, in agriculture and uh, might even actually be a place for light manufacturing. Uh, it's, describe. It's full of economic opportunities. Um, the, uh, as you say, mangoes, fantastic. They, the best quality mangoes in the world. They rot on the trees just offshore from the biggest mango market on earth. So getting the logistics of getting those mangoes to market, that's not rocket science. It can be done, and that's a, that's a big livelihood earner for Haitians. And there's and also coffee, right? There's coffee. So within agriculture, there's, mangoes are just an example of the commercialization of agriculture potential. In light manufacturing, Haiti's got a very good trade deal with America, hope too, that gives good market access for light manufacturers, garments and such like. It's got a very good workforce. Uh, there's just simple impediments like electricity, functioning ports. Um, these things are very readily fixable. Um, Haiti is offshore from the biggest market on earth. Afghanistan and many countries like it right. are landlocked thousands of miles away from a market. Well, let's take a look at some of the aid efforts that were well underway before this earthquake. I mean, uh, uh, former President Clinton famously assembled a, a group of private investors to put up uh, something on the order of $200 million. But I'm wondering if that was going to be spent on precisely the things that you think are important. Development of electricity, the upgrading of the port, the creation of the kind of infrastructure uh, that's actually going to support those businesses as far as I can tell, it's mostly hotels and uh, tourism. Well, hotels and tourism is no bad thing. That's one opportunity. Haiti's got a lot of opportunity in tourism, so I don't want to knock that at all. There's also a lot of money was committed to building factories. Um, George Soros put up over $25 million as part of that uh, initiative to create new factory space. So, yes, there were things happening. Um, there should be much more happening, and now's the chance to do it on electricity in the ports. Those were the big things to fix, and they're fixable. Without a government, though, why would private investors even go into Haiti? 
of course there's got to be a government, but it's, um, but but the range of what the government's got to do is is not very great. Um, do we know how to uh, supply electricity reliably and cheaply? Of course we do. Do we know how, how a port should function? Of course we do. These are doable things, and they'll be done now. Um, the, the question is really will the Haitian people trust the government to do those sorts of things, and we've heard again and again, Paul Collier, professor of economics and uh, the center, uh, director of the Center for the Study of African Economics at Oxford University, we've heard time and time again that people just don't trust the uh, Haitian government to carry out even uh, these kinds of uh, redevelopment efforts. And listen here, if you would, uh, Paul Collier, to the motivations uh, in the words of the late historian Larry Bland talking about the Marshall Plan, why the U.S. and ultimately the uh, investors who went into Europe after World War II got involved. The prime motivation for launching the Marshall Plan was fear of chaos in Western Europe. You could see this if you went to the movies every weekend on the beginning of the feature where they'd show problems in Europe on the newsreels. Uh, Starving women and children affect Americans' hearts. So, Paul Collier, how come we don't fear chaos in Haiti as much as we feared chaos in Europe after World War II? Well, there isn't the Soviet Union with, uh, with nuclear weapons sitting next door. Um, so the, as it were, the downside risk um, is smaller. Um, but, but yeah, Haiti now is where Europe was in the late 40s. We forget just how fragile Europe was then. Um, of course, Haiti's very small. This is a very fixable problem. Sure, the Haitian government in the past has not had a good record, and it's important to build decision structures that, that work within Haiti and internationally. I mean, right. What I've been suggesting is a, is a dual decision structure of a, of a respected Haitian, a prime minister, a former prime minister, whatever, and a, and a respected international leader such as Bill Clinton, who co-lead um, a temporary effort, maybe three or four years, where they have the power of money and the power of implementation for things like electricity in the ports. Interesting. So a distribution of sovereignty there, that would be unprecedented, and it sounds very 21st century, if you ask me. What are the triggers we should look for that would show that, in fact, uh, uh, enough was in place to possibly trigger a sustainable uh, river of uh, private sector investment in a place like Haiti? Well, first, let's look for sustainable housing. So not tents, but simple one-room buildings that can then be expanded down the line. Let's look for those houses to be located in places where economic opportunity can be built alongside them. So we're solving the residential problem and the jobs problem at the same time. So permanent housing located near infrastructure that would support jobs, that cycle then attracts investment. Paul Collier, professor of economics and director of the Center for the Study of African Economies at Oxford University. He's the author of The Bottom Billion, Why the Poorest Countries Are Failing and What Can Be Done About It. He was a special advisor on Haiti to the United Nations Secretary General in 2009. The idea of a Marshall Plan in Haiti as a lesson for the 21st century on The Takeaway. Thank you.